Did I hang in there? That's Smiley Kaufman for 61. Wow. I'm Smiley Kaufman, and this is The Smiley Show. What's up, y'all? I am Charlie. He is Smiley, and we're back to recap another wild week in the world of golf. And we will begin with a thriller of a finish at the Scottish Open, where Rory McIlroy wins for the first time since the CJ Cup in October 2022. It's his 24th win on the PGA Tour. And via Amanda Renner, you know, in the, the closing interview she did with Rory, he's the first man to win the Scottish, Irish, and British Open. So, Smiley, let's just get into Rory's performance today. I mean, he had to finish birdie birdie to win this thing. Hits an incredible second shot at 18 where he saws off a driving iron 202 yards out, uh, hit, play, playing into a 20-mile-per-hour win, hits it to 10 feet, uh, and then makes a birdie to to win the tournament. Uh, how impressive was his performance today, given the weather he had to play in. Well, I'll start from the beginning as I got to tee off his group the last two days. And, uh, but we'll talk about just Sunday is, uh, it was just the conditions. I'll start there. The, it was just very difficult out there. It was blowing a consistent 20 to 25. I would say it wasn't like crazy gusty until I would say probably towards the end of the round where maybe you're catching that 30 to 40 mile an hour gust on a golf course that was fairly difficult. But once you throw that type of wind in there, it just made it very unpredictable and you could get some crazy bounces on that golf course. But the start he got out to was interesting. He had two lag putts in the first five holes that I think he was around 60 feet away on both of them. And, and his second putt was from about, 10 to 15 feet on both. So just some really, a really like shaky start. It felt like to me and where I feel like the round really turned around was actually an up and down on the sixth hole. So he just made bogey on the fifth hole, which is a, a short par four that everybody's birdied the whole week. It was into the wind today. So much tougher, but still making a, making a bogey there uh, from the fairway was not what he was looking for. And had a just a ridiculously good up and down at the short par of three sixth, made a downhill left to right 10 footer that I feel like put him back into the golf tournament. Because if he misses that, now you're thinking, oh boy, this is just going to get out of hand because uh, he was reeling a little bit at that point and made in the birdies the seventh hole. And kind of as the rest of the round keeps going on, then we started having the chasers. We had Bob McIntyre, a guy from Scotland that just showed up and out of nowhere, really, we hardly showed him on our coverage. I didn't even know he was in like the second to last or third to last group. That's, that's how like out of nowhere he came to shoot 64 was just insane, but I'll continue on with Rory and the fact that yes, uh, the birdie on, he made on 17 and 18 considering like 16, I thought like if he was going to birdie a hole of the last three, I would have said 16 all day. It's a par five, even though it was into the wind still, that was going to be the hole, but dude in off the right on 17, a 30 mile an hour wind to hold it into a, um, an area that's not very easy to, to, to hit an iron shot into from that distance, especially with that wind direction, just a joke. And then 18 hits the fairway, which I'm telling you it's, that the part of the fairway that he hit was 
12 yards wide. I mean, it's the, the scariest looking tee shot back into a 20 mile an hour wind and then hits the sauciest two iron up there. And, um, and then basically it was iced out by Tom Kim. I, I don't know. I can't <laughs> believe he finished first. I, I was sitting there thinking, okay, Tom's going to finish. He's going to Rory's going to get a read, but then Tom Kim's ball moves from the wind gusts. Now we got a rules official coming over and Rory cannot stand still. Bob McIntyre is on the range about to have a heart attack because <laughs> he's thinking when he made his putt on 18, like I've won it, I've done it. And there had been only three birdies on the 18th hole the entire day. And Bob McIntyre and Rory McIlroy were two of the three. Um, 17, I didn't see that as a birdie hole at all. So what Rory was able to do to give himself a putt to win on 18, it just, it was stupid. The stones that he played with on those last couple holes, as much as, as we are just the media has tried to tear him down saying that he can't get the job done. You got to give him all the credit in the world, man. That was, that was some incredible stuff. Tom Kim should consider himself very lucky because he was about to have to co-author an apology note alongside Victor Hovland for his performance in the final round of the uh, 2022 open championship for the ice job that he did on him on that, <laughs> on that 18th grade. I mean, between I, those I didn't two get to watch the exchange because I don't know if like Tom said, do you want me to go finish it? Because I guess maybe Tom didn't want to have to deal with all the commotion, but he ended up three putting from there. And I don't know if he hit the green in regulation. If that was a four putt, I wouldn't, uh, no, he, he was, that. he was just off. He, he was, he missed that green short left and chipped. Oh, that's up. right. I don't know if he yep. putted or chipped it up, but Chips yeah, up, had about three, eight putted feet left. From there. three putts from eight feet. Yeah. Dude, they zoomed in on him. Um, once Rory finally got into the, um, scoring tent and, and Tom's just sitting there looking at the TV. He's like, God, that was a hundred thousand dollar mistake. Like I'm just sitting there. Um, <laughs> uh, that's not fun, but Tom had a great week. It was fun to watch him play and see him play well as well. He did. I mean, this was his first top 10, uh, not including the Zurich classic since January. So maybe okay. starting to find yeah. a little bit of form. He finished TA to the U S open, but maybe starting to find a little bit of form outside of that double in the last hole. And I think mm -hmm. you kind of noted Rory's putting, uh, earlier in your, your breakdown of his week. And he finished 34th for the event in strokes game putting and was in the positive, but early in the week, it looked like a little bit of a struggle. And then he finished, he was third in strokes game putting today, gained more than two and a half shots on the greens against the field. So, you know, when he needed it most putter kind of came up clutch. It looked like on that last putt, he was, he did not think that was going in and then sort of a he, little surprise he did relief when it dropped. <laughs> yeah. Charlie, he did that twice out there. Um, really the putt on 12, I didn't get to mention that putt, but it was an up and down that he got out of the bunker at the par three. He had a bunker shot to about 12 feet, hit a putt, came out of the putt thinking he missed it kind of sneaks in the right edge. And, but at that point, Terrell Hatton and McIntyre were at 14 under, and that would have dropped him back to 11 under three shots back. And then we get to the 13th hole. And I'm thinking after he just made that putt, he's two back on a hole where Scotty Scheffler just hit three wood um, just short of the green and really would three would would have easily gotten to the green. And even I think his two iron that he had in his bag could have easily chased up onto the green. I was shocked, absolutely shocked. He didn't try to go for that green and he laid it up, um, still made par. And it's, you know, if he loses the golf tournament, maybe you look back and say, why didn't he go for it there? I was very surprised by that decision. Um, but back to his putting, uh, with your original question. I was walking with him on Friday and he gained six shots T to green that day. 
And I think he missed like six to eight putts inside of 10 feet. He could have easily shot in something in the low sixties and even in the fifties, he should have been 600 through eight holes. No problem. Just struggled uh, with the putter that day. But, um, and I, I had a chance to ask him walking down the fairway on Saturday morning. Um, we teed him off and I was like, hey, what'd you think about that putting yesterday? Or just, you know, like your strokes, I told him, I was like, man, you stroked look great. Just like nothing was going in. He's like, yeah, you know, some of the greens, it was very difficult. They were kind of hobbling in everywhere at times. And then, you know, when the ball is above or below your feet while you're standing over it and the hole is like super flat, it's very difficult, especially if a crosswind, if you have a little crosswind, like it's, it's difficult to judge it a 10 footer that has double breaker tendencies on slow greens. And I think the adjustment that you saw him make was that he started to get a little, um, taking the break out a little bit more and kind of hitting it with a little bit more speed. So that'll be something to look out for next week at Liverpool. And the last note I'll have about his putting, um, that he told me, he said, you know, the greens that were elevated were the better greens. He said, 18, for example, it's the best green on the golf course. And I was thinking in my head on 18, when he had that downhill downwind putt, I was like, he's going to make this. Like he just, he told me earlier that this is, this is the the best green on the golf course. He just got to get it started online. And what do you know? He makes it. Yeah. Interesting week for him on the greens. If you look at his stroke skiing round by round, it was 19th in the first round, 145th in the second round. Uh, 45th in the third round and brings it home with a, a third. He could have won by 10. Like he, he, I thought after Friday, he could have had about a six or seven shot lead easy. We'll come back to Bobby Mack here because you know we, we have to, it was almost another storybook ending to a national open after watching Nick Taylor, one of the Canadian open and, and you know, Bobby Mack shooting a 64 on Sunday, including a, a gutsy birdie putt on the 18th uh, to potentially force a playoff. But just to kind of continue on that theme of, of how many shots one could have won, won by, I mean, Scotty watch the streak continues another uh, not only a top, a top 12, not only a top 10, not only a top five. He, he was, he tied for third at 10 under five shots off. Rory McIlroy is the winner. The last time Rory won is the last time Scotty finished outside the top 12 uh, insane stat from no laying up. He finished tied for third. He made $468,000 and his average winnings per start went down today. He's earned 18 and a half million on the year. I mean, you, you kind of said it best. We were texting this weekend, uh, you know, talking about just what he was playing. He plays the same round of golf, uh, every day, just kind of expand on, on your thoughts behind that. Yeah, man. He's just so good at golf. It's uh, amazing. He's just so good at golf. I don't know what's, I mean, we can talk about his putting is and the fact that that might be holding him back from winning, but man, it's just really hard to, to knock a guy that continues to put himself inside the top five. So often um, it does take a little bit of luck to win golf tournaments at times and knowing how to win. We've talked about that with numerous pros on the podcast um, thus far. And just there, there is an art to winning and knowing what a good score is that day. And he obviously shoots a ton of good scores. He leads the tour and scoring average, which is probably one of the coolest things to have at the end of the year is like, Hey, I, I was the best player every day. And that's what he's been. And, um, the, <laughs> to that, that's, that's a joke. I mean, I'm crying like in pennies right now, just the fact that like <laughs> this guy has so much money he's made. How much money do you say he's made this year? 
18 and a half million. I mean, so just to put that in perspective, so he's won two <laughs> events this Dude, year. Crazy. John Rahm has won four events. Several of those were elevated events and John Rahm's made 15.2 million. So he's, he's made 3.3 million more than John Rahm with two less wins. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's insane. Crazy. And I, I think too, it's like, listen, we've documented the putting struggles on the podcast and, and it's fair just looking at the stats, but if, if you watch his rounds, it's not like he's, it's not like he's missing by wide margins and you could tell he's frustrated, but a guy like that, who is committed to, to kind of grinding and figuring it out. Like I look at that more in the other direction. Like as soon as he figures this out, it is, I mean, as long as his ball striking stays where yeah. it is, it's going to be a wrap every single week. I, I, you know, one thing that I, I wish, or I would suggest to Scotty, which why would I ever make a suggestion to Scotty <laughs> Sheffer when he's made $18 million but from my eye, what I watch, and this isn't even technical, to me, it's it's the immediate reaction and emotion that he attaches to every putt after he misses. It's just like the, you know, he looks up at the sky and he and he looks at Ted Scott and he said, how did that, it's just every single time he misses, I think he attaches a little bit too much feeling to a putt to where it kind of hangs on with you the entire day. It's almost, I wish that he would just care a little less about making putts. And if he, if he misses a putt, just go tap it in. Just don't have a reaction. I think it, to me, it's it's a body language thing uh, with putting and just convincing yourself, I'm going to make the next one. Uh, it's really as simple as that. I, I do think at times he makes poor strokes, but a lot of times he makes good strokes and the ball looks like it has a chance to go in. And, and a lot of times when you're hitting a lot of lips and having a lot of close calls, you're you know, it, it can weigh on you. And for, especially for a guy that hits as many greens as Scotty. I think that's a really good observation. And and that's to me where maybe some of the discussion around his putting seeps into his brain a little bit. I mean, and it's not, not by his doing, like it's inevitable every week he goes and sits in a press availability. They're going to ask him about the putting. So you can't keep it out of your brain as much as you might try to. But, um, but I, I think that, yeah, it seems like, I mean, I sent a video to you on Friday of just him looking particularly frustrated over a missed putt. And you can tell it's just like, he's just getting tired of it. And so, I mean, I, listen, if we're making, would you, uh, hold on, would you, would you suggest that he switch to the jailbird? Like what you got recently? <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. We're, we're going to, uh, this it's up on TikTok, but I mean, listen, this, this jailbird is go on a slide tangent, got the jailbird exact specs to Ricky. This thing's going to be a game changer. Smiley. I think this is going to turn Charlie Hughes golf game on the rise. We're going to be in a serious uh, positive strokes gain situation for my putting a lot of tournaments coming up. I'm thinking there's going to be a lot. I, I just add, put me up there on the wall with, with Rick, with Keegan, with Wyndham. It's going to be more hardware for the jailbird this year. I'm absolutely convinced of it. Just, just make sure you tag me whenever you break your putter. <laughs> <laughs> that one, that one will also go on Zyre golf. Um, yeah, I mean, listen, if we're making bad uh, putting suggestions to Scotty Scheffler, uh, maybe take a page out of the other Scotty we recently had on the show, Adam Scott. Broomstick time? Mm -hmm. Anybody? I've seen a bunch of guys like David Wingmurth, uh, Lucas Glover. Um, Lucas Glover. Played great this week. On this yeah. week. Uh, they've, it seems like every time I see the the broomstick out, guys are making putts. There must be something to it. I don't like the feel of it, especially playing in wind like this today where it's blowing 40 miles an hour. looks like a tree's about to blow my car right now, <laughs> but uh, that just doesn't sound like comforting me that being that far away from the golf ball. I like kind of getting in there tight to, to kind of get on top of it, but Hey, there must be something to it. 
I would just love it for the very bizarre visual look of watch, you know, in my brain, I've seen Scotty Scheffler, his entire professional career with a, with a blade and then just going to a broomstick. It would just, it would break my head. Um, so to get, to get back to Bobby Mack, I mean, as amazing as Rory's shot was on the 18th, I mean, the, the shot that he hit into 18. So he got a little lucky. Uh, he missed right off the tee and it looked like he was going to have a ton of tr- trouble in the rough. It was thankfully in a trampled down area where he had a, a pretty decent lie. And again, also playing straight into the wind. I didn't see a, an exact number, but Rory's shot, I think, was into a 20 mile per hour wind. So I assumed that, that you know, uh, Robert McIntyre's was the same. Saws off a fairway wood and hits it 214 yards to three and a half feet. And then and then makes the, the the birdie putt there to get the 14 under. I mean, what what did you and, and you kind of mentioned like we didn't even have him on the coverage all week, but just to do that in those conditions, it's almost such a cool national open story again this year. Well, when he hit that drive on 18, way to the left, big block, you know, in my head, I'm thinking that fescue is going to be absolutely brutal. Most of the time, guys were either have there's like a stone wall at like a hundred or so yards that if you got in the fescue, you either had to lay up short of it or try to get over it because he didn't want to get behind it. And they get up there and and he's in this like trample down area. Maybe it was like the cart path or where guys were walking, but he had ended up having a perfect lie to take advantage. You got to take advantage of breaks like that when we talk about how to win. It's like okay that's a break that you don't normally get um, when you win golf tournaments. And so he gets the break and he pulls off the shot of the year at what I think at the time and makes birdie in front of his home crowd. And um, you know, his reaction walking off AT just, you know, he had tears in his eyes. I think he thought he wanted, and I thought he wanted, I think he had a 96% chance according to data golf um, while Rory was going into the 17th hole the fact that he didn't even get a chance at a playoff is just, just insane to me. Yeah. They showed a shot of him on the range after Rory's birdie putt goes in on 18. He kind of just shrugs and looks at his caddy. Like, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what else I could have done. You know, it feels bad for Bob. It's hard. It's easy to root for a guy named Bob. It's so easy to root for a guy named Bob. And this is some bad radio, but I'm wearing my, Hearts of Midlothian, Scottish uh, soccer jersey here, uh, <laughs> repping for my Scottish heritage. Really wanted to see him get it done, but uh, but but you know, still an amazing performance for that home crowd on Sunday. Um, I want to get deep into your Scotland adventures, and we will do that shortly. But just a brief final one on the Scottish Open about the venue itself. Um, so, and and we've been very clear about how to pronounce it. It's the Renaissance, not the not the Renaissance Club, the Renaissance Club. Um, so I'm just curious how you feel about that course because you know, Tom Doak design opens in 2008. Doak is a fantastic architect. So this is nothing against him. He's done incredible work in a lot of places, but I just wonder in a country with so much history in the game of golf and so many, you know, venues that are deeply entrenched in, in, in golf culture that could potentially host the national open, you know, did this course, what were your impressions of just the course itself and how, natural it felt this week and and what type of a layout it is. Yeah, I would say it's a US um a little modernized links golf experience. I think actually it's a very good PGA tour golf course. I think, you know, like North Berwick, we're staying right here on it. I've played it played it this week. I think that the Renaissance Club is a better PGA tour golf course than North Berwick. Do I think that North Berwick isn't a better golf course than the other. No, I, I would play North Berwick every single day of the week. 
But I just think the way it's set up and the challenges it presents, it seems to me that it represents more of a PJ tour golf course that you play week in, week out, um, a little longer shots, um, a little bit more of that modern touch to it. I do think that there's a couple holes out there. And I think the 10th hole, there's a mound short right of that green. That's just ridiculous. Um, there's a bunker in the middle of the fairway on seven. That isn't very good. Um, same with eight. There's kind of a bunker there. I don't mind bunkers in the middle of the fairways, but there's just a bunch of slope on seven. that just makes it impossible. It seems like to hit the fairway. Um, and yeah, there, there may be a couple other spots where you're just like, I don't really get this. Like it's a little much kind of too many ridges and bumps at times where it just feels a little unnatural in some places. But with that being said, I, I do think it's a PGA tour level and worthy golf course that I think, you know, rightfully so the, the best players at the end of the week were, um, were there, which, which is all you want, you know, and it's 16, let's see, did Roy get to 15 under? Is that sound right? Roy, Roy I finished so. to 15. That's correct. Yep. You know, that's, that's, that's good. That's a good number. You know, it's, uh, we didn't have a ton of wind necessarily Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Um, so it really held up well in the fact that, you know, Sunday really did play difficult and they were able to move the tees up and make it play as easy as it possibly can play and still played ridiculously hard. And really you didn't have too many guys complaining about the golf course, maybe a bounce or two in some areas and, and maybe some of the holes I just mentioned, but the putting was where guys were getting the most frustrated as it seemed that the greens were a little ridiculous at times, kind of just mounds everywhere that just didn't seem hmm. um similar to a Lynx golf course that might have flatter greens if that makes sense so just a little bit more ridges and bumps absolutely does and so i mean when people look at a list of courses in scotland like st andrews turnberry muirfield royal dornock north berwick carnoustie kings barnes royal troon prestwick western gales basically what you're saying, so people understand it is those courses are better golf courses than maybe the Renaissance is, but they wouldn't be fit as tour venues because of, of length. You'd say mainly no, not length. I think I'm just making excuses that and the fact that I think it's a good championship golf course for the PGA mm. tour, you know, I think there's other plenty of other golf courses in Scotland that would be, um, maybe better championships than the one at the Renaissance club. But yeah, I, I mean, I would say that I was a little surprised out there that the bunkers, especially the pot bunkers balls didn't gather into them quite as much as a normal links golf course. I felt like I hardly saw guys hitting uh, shots out of the bunker this week. And the fescue was really not overly difficult to play out of. So those two factors in a, in a normal, really difficult links test or a, a well-designed golf course, typically you know, the fescue it's it's very easy to hit into and it's very hard to get out of. And it's so easy to hit in into pot bunkers, typically on a very well-designed links golf course. And, and it seemed at the Renaissance club that there were, you know, balls that were hit offline that didn't necessarily gather into mm. the pot bunkers quite as easily as maybe another golf course in Scotland. All right, let's go in depth on one of the courses I just listed there, North Barrick, because Boy, was I delighted. We came out of that Adam Scott interview and, uh, and then I've just seen all these images filtering and videos of you out there 
late night uh, at North Berwick with with Justin Thomas and Jordan Speed. I mean, how? First of all, I just want the whole play by play on the day. That looked like the coolest thing ever. So you just popped out of the Adam recording and then just kind of joined up with them as they finished their round. Yeah, I was pretty frustrated, honestly, that uh, not frustrated. Like I was so pumped to do the interview with Adam, but I get a text from Jordan. that was like, hey, tea time at 350 um, at North Barrett, come play. And uh, our interview with Adam was at 5 p.m. I was like, oh, man, that's brutal. Um, but it was, it was I next knew time I was we'll just get you bunch. some some headphones. You can just do the Adam Adam interview from the course. It'd be a real blend yeah, ex- of both, you know, have JT exactly, Jordan but, pop in for a question or two. Yeah, no, it. It was cool. So I, uh, we finished up our record with Adam. Uh, I figured I was going to probably get some dinner after. So I threw on some, just, you know, a hoodie and some jeans and figured I was out. I would just go drive up to North Berwick and kind of go meet those guys around 15 or so. And it was a beautiful evening, just like perfect, perfect best night of the year or week, excuse me. And we, we get out there and there's so many people already following the group, but I would say that probably 15, 16, 17, 18 are some of the more famous holes out at North Barrett, uh, 13 being another one, but, uh, you know, 15, it just, the, the Brits green on 16, if I'm saying that right, the big ravine in the middle of the green, one of the coolest holes I've ever seen. And I took this picture from the back left part of the green back to the front, right. That just, I mean, you, you, you can't do any better than that. And uh, the guys were having so much fun with it. Uh, Jordan and JT were having a blast just playing different shots. And, um, you know, for, for us golfers that play in the States, we don't get to experience golf like this over here. It's so fun. Um, all week I've just felt like I'm in golf heaven and I felt the same way at Bandon and Dunes when I went out there, I just really like links golf. And I think it's something that, every golfer should try to experience, um, at some point in their life. It's just really cool place. Well, and I think what's interesting about that is when, when you do play the historic courses in the United States and and you have an appreciation for architecture, you know, in Scotland, various other parts of England, um, or the United kingdom at large, you realize how much of what we we've done in the States is borrowing from that rich tradition in history right. guys like Donald Ross and CB McDonald coming over and borrowing template holes or greens to, to put in these courses. He's like, Oh, wait a second. That's, that looks familiar. I know where that's from. Um, so just kind of on that topic. So you played North Barrick and, and which other courses, and could you just give us a, a quick review of each of the ones yeah. you played? Well, we went out like super late. I think we finished around 10 30 PM me and Terry Gannon one night, uh, played the loop from, right around six to 13, which is the pit hole, the, the famous hole that you'll see pictures of the wall that kind of runs short that right of that you, green. Did I see the Instagram where you hit a shot over the wall onto the green? Was oh, that, was yeah, that yeah, I drove yeah, it I right that. up into that little small area and hit a flop shot up there. And made a birdie. It was, uh, <laughs> it was cool. No, it, you know, North barrack is just, it's perfect. It really is. You get mm. to the hole and you're like, every single hole seems to be memorable and it, how they got it right the first time. It's just insane to me. The fact that they were able to have the foresight to build greens like this and be this far in advance of what we knew the game was going to be. And just the distance they set the tees and greens. I mean, this course was built like in the 14, 1600s. I don't know what year I'm not exactly the best golf historian. I just know it's very old. And the fact that they got it so right the first time is just, 
it's, it's amazing. It's, it's so fun to play. And um, yeah, I, I can't say enough good things about that place. It was North Barrick. The golf club itself was founded in 1832, 13th oldest golf club in the world. Um, so d- and did you play? I, I I thought I caught you playing a few other courses. Did, did you yeah. play any others? Yeah. I played uh Golan yesterday and oh, that's, awesome. that's like right next door store to Muirfield and played at around four 30, put, uh, put my bag on a push cart, put a couple beers in there and just me and the golf course. And it was just oh. so much fun, man. I'm telling you, I had a blast. Uh, I was, I was so good at making pars. I mean, nobody was better than making <laughs> pars than me at going that day. <laughs> well, what is uh, it? Is it, is it, do you have to adjust the way you're playing shots for the weather and everything? Some of you've had some nice days over there, some rough days over there. I mean, how, how, how much did you change the way you play golf from, you know, being in Birmingham, Alabama to, you know, going in North Barrett? Yeah, there was like when the weather came in, it was, I had this shot. It was like a 180 yard shot that typically at home would have been a hard eight or a soft seven on the end of this par five, third hole. The weather shows up and it's this icy rain. It's blowing sideways left to right. The whole, uh, the pin is cut on the left side of the green behind some pot bunkers. So you can't fly it online at the pin. It's just, there's no way first off to like aim left enough and be able to keep it on the green if it landed online with the pin, but there's some runway areas where you can hit this low draw. So I pulled out a six iron and tried to hit this little low, like hook kind of around the green. and. Uh, pulled the shot off and it was so fun to, you just don't ever really hit shots like that. You know, even if a shot like that was presented to you um, over in the States, you you would still just throw the eight or seven iron up in the air and aim 10 feet right of it and just take it where you get it. You would never hit that low running six iron. Uh, So shots like that's fun, but um, the greens are typically slower over here. So you can kind of give everything a pretty good poke. I think it's pretty difficult to make putts inside of 10 feet at times because you just know, as the ball slows up, it, it can kind of does whatever it wants to do at mm-hmm. times. So that can be a little frustrating. And the fact that it's not like bent greens at home where you hit, you know, you, inside of 10 feet, you get it started online. You pretty much seem to make more than you miss over here it, it's it it can be a little little eh. <laughs> yeah yeah like a, a, an overseas version of post sometimes uh and then a few others i want to get in the notes uh, on your uh your adventures throughout scotland uh we documented a little bit of your uh your driving uh i don't want to i don't want to say struggles but just you know a, a no, you can call them struggles <laughs> <laughs> I, w- I want to hear about how the driving has gone since we briefly touched on in the adam scott interview maybe a little bit about the food any other items you want to <laughs> share about your adventures Yeah, no, I land after a red eye flight and this, you know, the the rental car people first off, first class service, you get there and you have one of their um, employees take you out to your car and, and show you around the car and kind of give you the tour of it, which never happens in the States. Like, Hey, here's your keys. (laughs) And are you going to fill up the tank? And it was, I just felt like I was checking into a hotel for when I got my rental car. And what was it? What was the I car make model? Can we get a little, little uh, teaser on that? They gave us a BMW. That, um, so Ooh. I guess Golf Channel figured we're going to be driving to Liverpool. So they were like, "All right, this is like getting you a first class ticket to to Liverpool." So this thing is pretty sweet. It it can get up and go. Um, wow! So, but when I get the car, um, I I say thank you for your service. I appreciate all your help, and I hop in the left. You know the 
the, the where I always enter <laughs> a car to drive. And she was like, and then as soon as I was getting in there, she was just like, okay, are you going to want to opt in for the insurance or no? <laughs> <laughs> so I pull out of the rental car area and I'm about to turn onto the street. And I'm always so accustomed to looking, you know, when you're driving on the right side, I'm, you, you're always looking right. And somehow I'm pulling out of there and I'm turning right. And I look the wrong way and almost get hit right out of the, right out the box. Wow. And from there, <laughs> they're just watching think, you leave like, Oh, that was a bad uh, yeah. decision. We should not <laughs> have given that car. <laughs> it was tough, man. And there was probably four to six roundabouts I experienced from Edinburgh. It was like a 40 minute drive to where we're staying. And the roundabouts were an issue. And the fact that I was, I had no, but the first couple, I was like, this is, this is a nightmare. And the left side, you, you just have no feel for how, how much, how much room left you got, because you're so, you know, how much room right you got when you're always driving on the left side. But when you're, when you're hovering so close to that middle line, I was going back and forth between like, am I going to hit the person on the right side of the road? Or am I going to drive off the road on the left side? Because I'm so accustomed to being driving up the left center of the road. It, it was just, it was a mess, man. Um, and I, I luckily made it here and I've actually got a pretty good, gotten pretty good at it by the end of the week. Good but for you, man. I did a three point turn um, the, the day I got here to go get a charger. I was trying to get all my chargers figured mm. out. And I was backing up. I didn't know we had like this back uh, garage and I, I either kissed it or like barely missed. But my my BMW being the luxury vehicle that it is, it, it went into like anti-theft mode and the thing totally locked. No, it went, no. The engine light showed up. So I'm thinking, oh, God, I got to call somebody to to figure this out. But luckily, our person um, that helps us with our travel said, like, just hold the ignition for three seconds. And I did. And then all the angel lights went away and I was back and rolling, but, um, we're all good. Uh, I'm alive and all well. I love to hear it. This reminds me, I'll go a slight tangent here of, uh, I went, um, my wife, Amanda and I went on our honeymoon to, um, the Amalfi coast and we flew into Napoli and we rented, um, oh, we, was, we went on our honeymoon there. How about that? Yeah. That's kind of fun. Where, where'd you stay? This is uh, it was a town right next to Positano. Um, uh, Prano, sure. maybe? Start with an S. Uh, Sorrento? Start with an S. Maybe. We stayed in Sorrento. This is, well, we're going to offline this. That's you're amazing. You're going to have to ask, Fran. I, I, <laughs> I can't remember the name of the town. <laughs> well, so, so we rented uh, like an Audi convertible. because so we're like, it's our honeymoon. Let's do something fun. Uh, thankfully, left side drive. And uh, so we were like, all right, we're going to go out to Sorrento and then kind of drive up and down the Bro, those, coast. Those roads are windy and tight. Wild. And we, <laughs> we did like a nightclub in Positano one night and drove back to Sorrento. And it was like being in a, a video game. Shoot, Wait, I was just Positano. Is that, Positano? Is that, how, is that how it's supposed to be pronounced? Positano? I, I believe so. If you're Italian, you're listening to this, please tweet in Instagram and thread. In. I thought it was Positano. What did you say? Positano. Doesn't that sound a little more time? Positano. Pos. I think it's pos, pos but I Positano. Right, well, Positano. I don't know. Now I'll get Real a, tomato, I don't tomato situation. Now. Now just, <laughs> both sound weird now that we've said it out loud. <laughs> uh, so we so we were like, okay, we're gonna be out on the Amalfi Coast and like we're dying for a slice of Neapolitan pizza, like before we leave Napoli. And we're we're same thing, red eye, sleep deprived, like mm -hmm. no idea what's going on. And so 
we're like trying to Google map it and I'm driving through like all these, like these, these roads keep getting narrower and narrower and narrower. It looks like kind of this back street and, and Amanda's trying to navigate. Like, I think we're almost here. And uh, so I'd make this turn and all of a sudden I pull out and I'm in the middle of a pedestrian square. Everyone's waving oh. their hands at me. <laughs> no, 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 no. Do not like, you got to get out of here. And I'm like, this is, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. And I, I'm like, I'm delirious. I haven't slept at all. So I'm just like, trying my best to not make eye contact with any of these Italians and just kind of weave how, around how people. Amanda during all this. Is she like, is she pretty cool as a front seat uh, passenger? Or is she one that's um, I think not she, quite as cool? She like, like all, you know, wives and mothers, she, she would like me to drive uh, more safe than I choose I to drive. I don't need you to throw her under the bus by any means, but I, I can tell you that my wife would have, um, she would have been yelling bloody murder. It's like, what is going on? And I, I would have been, I'm the calm one behind the wheel, but yeah. <laughs> I think she, in most circumstances she would have in this circumstance, she was just laughing because it would of how absurd the situation was. And the way we got out of this is we literally kind of weaved around. I saw a little opening with like a, like a, a parking gate. And I was like, Amanda, you got to get out of the car and you got to go lift that gate up and we got to get out of here. And so she does it <laughs> and we just hops in the car, we drive out. And then like, right before we get on the highway, we see a little pizza stand on the way out, grab two slices, like, over like pay them like five times more euro than we should have for these slices of pizza just to, to get it and go and then drove off to Sorrento and it was the best slice of pizza I've ever had in my life so I it was, was well to say it. it was probably the best piece of pizza you've ever had it was amazing it was amazing so how about that well yeah. uh little honeymoon buddies um yeah so let's let's hard turn off of that uh into the senate hearing recap uh man uh i mean this is a very like we just we went around a roundabout (laughs) seven times to get to the senate hearing after after that just just, yeah much like driving in europe uh that that's how we arrived at this uh arrived at this this sort of topic here um i mean it's been like almost a week now since the hearing i think there's a lot out there in terms of analysis breakdowns that people have done on this so not really worth going into a ton of depth here i think the big development or the big story um that we've that we've heard since the senate hearings was to kind of to to, to kind of reset the the two biggest items that came out of that initial framework deal were that one all the litigation between the pga tour and live was was going to be dropped and two, live would no longer attempt to poach PGA Tour players through the end of 2023. So the news story this week, now that this whole thing is under a little more government scrutiny, um, was was that the second provision is no longer in play because there is pressure from the United States Department of Justice antitrust regulators, which is something that, you know, we did a recap pod on this. And, you know, we had a, an antitrust expert on Matt Stoller, who is pretty clearly like there's just no chance this is going to work in its current uh, form because of, of the nature of the deal. And so maybe this is one of the things that the DOJ is doing initially to say, OK, um, you know, we can try to work with you on this, but like that can't be a provision. So, I mean. I, I'd be curious to your viewpoint. Like, I can't imagine that this actually changes anything. Like, I think that, you know, live, I can't imagine they try to poach players this season in the midst of a PGA Tour PIF negotiation to get something done. Um, do you think that news changes anything at all on your front? 2024 is going to, you know, that's going to remain the same. That's kind of what we've heard is that 2025 is is the target date uh, as far as what the future of golf may look like. Um, man, I don't know. I, I think you got to look at what the players said and 
we'd start with a guy like Xander Shafway. Uh, he, he had a press conference this week and mentioned just that, you know, I had trust with the PGA tour. I had trust in my commissioner and now they have a lot less of it. So these are guys that haven't necessarily come out and spoken about much of this. A lot of these top players kind of hid um, behind all of it and let it all come out, which, you know, a guy like Jordan Spieth, he even said, you know, we don't really know what's going on. Um, I think they are the first people to find out. And I'll, I'll say uh, the PGA tour and their player relations department, we are getting updates now every single time something's about to happen in email. Mm. So it seems like the communication lines have opened up, but that's interesting. Kind of seem a little too late for, for all that. It's like, now we're going to communicate. <laughs> so I don't know. I, I understand that they had to operate the way they did to try to get the framework done. So that they just wouldn't blow up. So probably the smart move, but at the same time, still, man, just a PR nightmare. Uh, totally. Well, and, and just a couple of quotes from players this week, Jordan Spieth was asked if Jay Monahan was going to have trust issues with the players. Uh, Jordan said quite a bit, just based on the conversations I've had with other players. And I think he realizes that I'm sure he's preparing a plan to try and build that trust back. Uh, McElroy told a group of reporters at the Scottish open on Thursday, if live golf was the last place on earth to play golf, I would retire. That's how I feel about it. Uh, what was, did you have any conversations with guys this week about the Senate hearing the deal in total? And just if any of those conversations went in that direction, what was the sense you got about where they stand? You know, I, I think there's still conversations between either top players or policy board members. I think they're constantly dealing uh, with new information or just a pulse of where the PGA tour players uh, stances on a lot of different issues and what's agreeable, what's not agreeable. But as far as just general conversation from the tour, it seems to me that there's really hardly any, you know, mm -hmm. I think it's kind of, it's kind of slowed down a ton, but I think it will eventually start ramping back up once the fall comes around, you know, or, or post Ryder cup, depending on who gets picked on the teams and, um, not that that have a, a huge say on it, but still with some live guys that maybe get omitted, it just might ramp it all back up. Um, again, just the, the two tours in general, I just have a hard time believing that, that the live golf roster is full for 2024, mm -hmm. you know, for so long, you know, Greg Norman or live golf executives were talking about how they're going to continue to build live into being whatever, you know, the, the top two or just the best names. And, um, they want to work together with the PGA tour. That's kind of, they kind of had had that stance, even though they're blowing up the sport. Um, but you know, they mentioned like six or seven names that they're going after, you know, these top players. And then, you know, they, we fend them off and we keep, you know, guys at home, like Patrick Cantlay and Xander Shoffley, who would, you know, had been guys that have been rumored to go over there. So with that being said, with that being dropped, like you said earlier, I know the live golf roster is full, but did it ever seem to you that way that the live golf roster was ever full to me? That never was a feeling that I had. I, if John Rom calls him tomorrow and says, Hey, I want to go. I don't think the roster is full. You know, if can't no. later shop, like call tomorrow and say, I want to go. I don't think the roster is full. I mean, I think it depends on the, the profile of the player that's looking. Um, I mean, I think, you know, my takeaway from the hearing and everything is, and, and I have to qualify this because 
the PGA tour is in a really, really tough spot. As we heard in the hearing, like I thought it was really interesting that you and I both uh, have had the good fortune to know and spend time uh, with and around Jimmy Dunn, amazing magnetic personality, biggest personality in every room he's in. And I thought it was interesting in that hearing to see the way he sort of handled it. That was a side of Jimmy that like I've never seen where he was very, um, you know, acknowledging of the other side's points. And when he was being, you know, uh, pressed on certain issues by Senator Blumenthal and others, he was like, you're making great points. And I just thought it was a very, um, you know, it, it was a more reserved side, but I think like for Jimmy, that was the only play there. It's like, you, you can't go in there and be the boisterous deal maker Jimmy done in that setting, because I, I think you, you welcome more heat from the Senate and other government bodies. I think you risk, um, you know, the deal itself that you're trying to kind of negotiate with the PIF. So, I mean, I, I think, I mean, really, I don't see any other way that, that Jimmy and Ron Price could have played it in that meeting. I thought like the, the respectful tack they took and just trying to, you know, thank the senators for, you know, for, for having them there and explain as much as they could about their side. That's about as good as they can do. What they noted was just that they're, they're dealing with an entity that has unlimited funds effectively. I mean, they, they said that the total assets of the PGA tour are, are about 2 billion. The, 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 the private wealth fund of the PIF is 700 billion. And, and, you know, Jimmy said, you look, their runway is longer. Their, their, their willingness to take on risk and, and, and wait for returns. It, it's longer than what we can afford on the PGA tour. So for me, it's like, if this deal falls apart, I, I, I just don't see how the Saudis and, and, and PIF and, and live doesn't come out as a winner because you've removed the moral barrier to going and joining the live tour. You now legally dropped that clause that, that, you know, no poaching clause, you know, because you want to avoid antitrust regulations. And I think that the tour had no choice, but to try to pick the time where they could come to the negotiating table in, in, a, in a place of strength and get the best deal done for the tour and its players to save the tour. But if they can't hammer, hammer something out, that works for both sides and the thing falls apart. Like it, it it's going to be, I just don't know how golf looks like in the future. I just think a lot of guys are going to go to live or whatever entity that the PIF's going to create in the future for golf. Yeah. I mean, those are all uh, concerns that are, that are fair. I think you're dead on with everything you've said. Um, that's the feeling I have um, as well. I, I, I think it's going to be, uh, an interesting end of 2023 and 2024. I think it's still, remaining patient, um, in this news cycle that sometimes, um, the media or, um, players might come out and say, you know, things that might end up not being correct. And mm. so I think we're going to still just monitor the news and, uh, continue to have the same feelings. Like you just talked about that. Where is the PGA tour going to be? Um, or what's the stance going to be, uh, if, if this thing doesn't go through. So definitely helps when you have guys like Rory McIlroy come out and say what they said this week, talking about how if live golf tour was the last place um, to play in professional golf, I would just retire. I mean, that, that has to mean something, right? Uh, there's other players as well that probably feel the same. And there's probably other top players that feel opposite They're, They probably feel they left a lot of money on the table and wish they would have gone now. So Definitely something, and we even talked about the guys uh, potentially returning to the PGA Tour. So there's just, there's a lot of interesting um, times ahead of us for sure. Yeah, all stuff that we'll continue updating as best we can. 
Um, and, and from there, you know, a couple of names you mentioned there, let's, let's move it back to golf. We have the, the final major of, of this year coming up the open championship at Royal Liverpool. Uh, I want to run through some of the betting favorites, some other sort of categories with you, but let's just start with, you know, the prep that you've done for golf channel, NBC, um, any kind of like high level notes you have on Royal Liverpool and the way the course is going to play and, and just what we can expect from this, from this venue. Yeah, I think, uh, I learned a good bit talking to Adam Scott. Um, I think yeah. that was really insightful stuff. I think that was really, um, just the things he talked about with the golf course that you can't really necessarily overpower it because of the dog legs and, um, that they've played the place baked out. They've played it wet in the two times. So we're expecting rain next week from what I understand. So that plays into guys like Rory McRoy or, uh, maybe a Scotty show Scotty plays well everywhere. So it doesn't, <laughs> it, it plays well into Scotty's hands, regardless of the weather or where he plays. So I'm we just going to have a major that. pop stroke and Scotty would finish top 12 guaranteed. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think, you know, there's plenty of guys that, that I'm sure that'll, um, play well too, but you know, I, I'm looking forward to seeing it. They, they had a bit of a, uh, change, I believe in, I think the 17th hole, they kind of rerouted or, or played mm-hmm. those two holes backwards. I got to go check that out and see what the original looked like. But it seems like to me, there's a good chance that there's going to be a little bit more excitement in these holes from what I understand in red. So we're going to definitely gonna have to go check all of that out. Um, once I get to the golf course, either Monday evening or Tuesday morning, but before that, I, I do need to update you. I'm going to play a golf course near Edinburgh tomorrow. It's Ooh. called Musselburgh. 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 Okay. Yeah. It's like the first nine hole golf course ever built. And I'm going to be playing with hickory sticks and let's go, I guess a feathery or a persistent or whatever golf ball uh, persimmon. So it's going to be fun. It's supposed to be blown like 30 or 40 miles an hour tomorrow morning too. So uh, it's going to be brutal. (laughs) That is going to be a ton of fun. I hope we get some, some video of that uh, because that you'll get some content. Yeah, the, the the I've always wanted to play with Hickory's. Never had the chance to. There's of course there's like a miniature version of Piner's number two, the Piner's number three. It's like fifty two hundred yards something par uh, sixty eight. That it would be so perfect to play Hickory's on. So someday. Um, I mean, if, you're, I, if it's going to be 40 miles an hour, who cares? Right. right I right, want to play with right, my golf right. clubs. I, I'd rather just save my golf balls anyways, and just play That's with right. these. Cause it sounds like I can't hit it hard enough or, or enough offline to lose them. So I'll just keep that ball and play and then just go figure it out. I don't care what I shoot. I just want to go play it. We're going to save those precious Strixon Z star diamonds for another day in another course. Thank uh, you. Thank you. Plug. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's got to, got to get the plug in um, on Royal Liverpool um, on, on no laying up. Chris Solomon did a really cool interview with Martin Ebert, the guy that made a lot of those changes to Royal Liverpool for this year. If you want to dig in depth on the whole layouts and the maps and stuff like that, and just, and just kind of understand the way the course is going to play different than the last few times it hosted a major. Um, so to kind of get into the players themselves. So, let me just read you in terms of betting odds. You know, these are all the guys that are shorter than 20 to one uh, for, for this major. And so Rory is the betting favorite six and a half to one. Scotty is at eight to one Rom 12 to one Cam Smith at 14 to one Xander at 18 to one Victor Hovland at 18 to one and Brooks Kepka at 18 to one. I mean that for this season feels just about right for me. The only guy that, that, I mean, there are only two guys on that list where I'm like, Xander, Xander's one of those guys. It's like almost like Scotty light. Like he's, he's, you know, 
very consistent, you know, maybe not at the level of Scotty Scheffler, but just is always around. I think that keeps him in the books makers, you know, uh, in the odds maker sort of book is, you know, up there as a favorite. And then Cam Smith, I wouldn't necessarily have put that high if he hadn't won that last, you know, live event in London. So, I mean, does that, does that board, any of those guys pop for you that, that could potentially win this tournament? Yeah, I think Cam Smith looked really good at, at uh, the U.S. Open, so I'll give mm. him some credit there before winning um, that live golf event in London. So honestly, I was looking at Cam Smith the opposite way. I thought he, I, w- I could see it being even a little shorter than that. I, I think really? he's going to be um, definitely a guy to look out for this week uh, based on what I saw um, in L.A., but um, I think you got to look at Ricky too. Uh, he's He's just played so well this year, whether he's out of gas or not. Um, he's played well at this golf course. I, I believe this was the year that he had all of his top fives in his majors. I think he finished second, um, at Royal Liverpool. So he's got a little experience around that track and plays really well in Wink's golf. So I think, uh, Ricky's definitely got to look out for too. Yeah. The spring break boys in that section, Ricky is the shortest odds now 20 to one. Jordan is at 25 to one JT is at 45 to one, which I imagine regardless of how those other guys feel about the way they're playing this year and where that places them in the odds gotta be super cool to see Ricky's resurgence and be right there in the top kind of list of favorites. And and for you too, like just a really cool run he's been on. Yeah. He's, he looks, uh, looks great out there. Just confident, um, having fun. Uh, it's so so often that when I'm watching on the sidelines, watching guys, um, I can always tell who's confident, who's the most focused and who's having the most fun. And that's kind of the recipe really for playing good golf. Ricky's kind of got all of those meshing really well together right now. So I think just keeping those good vibes and, um, along with how well he's been playing T to green and putting the ball, it's just, just seems like he's going to, uh, definitely be a, a uh, player at this, this, uh, this U S or excuse me, the open championship. Yeah. And I don't know if you'd heard, but, uh, he and I use the same putter. Uh, so I just want to get that one in the notes. <laughs> so, uh, it's good. It's kind of an important note there. Oh, uh, <laughs> to move it on to a few other friends of the pod. We have, we have a growing friends of the pod section now uh, that we can look at in terms of odds, Sam Burns, uh, 50 to one. Ooh, I, I think that's a little, little high. Um, same. He looked yeah. good the first couple rounds. I think he had a couple of big numbers. I want to yeah, say he, on Friday well or Saturday, maybe. He played well yeah. this week. I, I actually think, too, um, just one other guy. Uh, I think Max Home is going to have a good week. He he had a good finish this week, too. I, yeah, after kinda, it, I yeah. watched once. All I, all I saw was, you know, like when, or I say, you know, it when when you see a guy hit one shot and it's sometimes that's all it takes for me to just think, Oh, they're going to play really well. But the shot I watched him hit was on the 10th hole here at the Scottish open and his swing looks so good. It was the flushest thing ever. So I don't, I'm, I'm using that one shot and channeling into <laughs> he could win the open championship, <laughs> which well, obviously I, he can. I don't know what he is in the world uh, ranking, but he's definitely way out there. Eighth in the world, uh, third in the FedEx cup. Um, although I, it's interesting to look at those numbers and say, you know, he's okay. He, he won uh farm's insurance open at Torrey Pines back in January, he finished his second um, at Riv, you know, for the Genesis invitational. But I mean, his, his string of results of late are, I think he tell you himself, he doesn't you know, necessarily love the way he's played. He, he, you know, he missed, he missed a cut at the RBC heritage. He missed a cut at the U S open, missed a cut at the travelers, and then has a handful of, you know, T 55 at the PGA championship. So I think at the very least he comes into this final major with a lot of motivation, to try to get yes. it done. 
And, and, I think he's going to have a good week. Yeah, I love that one. Um, some other friends of the pod, Adam Scott, missed the cut this week, but 80 to one played well, Royal Liverpool in the past. Two that's one tens. to keep an eye on. Two, two top tens, that's right. Um, Sepp Straka coming in 150 to one. Um, and Michael Kim coming in 350 to one. So let's hope, let's hope the friends of the Smiley Show can put together a good string of results this week. Um, Absolutely. And then one final category, uh, which is just the Min Woo Lee eyeballs emoji category. Min Woo Lee, 45 to yeah, 1. Yeah, we're, we're, uh, I'm going to get out in front of this. We are Min Woo Lee fans. We actually Big detailed time. his schedule before he got to <laughs> Europe um, just for no reason. But I think <laughs> oh, um, we, love Min Woo Lee. We, we need T-shirts. Uh, we need the whole deal. This is like our guy and nobody else gets to claim him uh, because we did three weeks ago. So <laughs> <laughs> we did three weeks ago and we tried to decide whether or not he was going to play in the Maiden Hammerland event in Denmark. Uh, and he, which he, not, he has to come on the podcast um, and maybe Must. he will. Uh, eyeballs. That's <laughs> eyeball emoji on that one. Um, well, that's that's the totality of our of our sort of recap of uh, all things in the world of golf. Uh, so, you know, as I do every week, Smiley, uh, I'm just going to awkwardly offer up to you as to whether you'd like to give any parting thoughts to the audience before we sign off. Yeah, uh, just one quick thought. Um, I think Europe really needs to, uh, or Scotland in general, they need to hydrate more. They, there's mm. not enough water here. There's there was no water coolers on the golf course. And there wasn't any water coolers or water fountains at the course I played yesterday. I don't think they drink water. Maybe they just drink beer. I, I don't know, but I know that I drink a ton of water at home. And even like on our compound this week, there were like zero water bottles and you had to fill it up in a fountain, which apparently their water is really good here. But still, I'm I'm taking a shot at the water system in Europe and the fact that they need even if it's like a plastic thing, like if you're, if you're a plasticator, I don't care. Just, I just need more water. <laughs> yeah. Europe, uh, please stay hydrated. It is a prerequisite to survive. So we'd love to see a little more effort out of you in that department. Um, and yeah, I'd say, oh, um, oh, um, other water, um, I want to highlight a beer that I've had here. Um, first off, I had a, a pint of Guinness and it was really good. Um, but tenant it's like the, the Coors light of Scotland. Good beer. Love it. Actually, Never heard of it. Want to try? Open one. Yeah. Let's uh, open one in your face. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's all for us today. Smiley will be back here on Thursday with another conversation to share with you. Thanks for listening. The Smiley Show is part of the Sirius XM Sports Podcast Network. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please give a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe today wherever you stream your podcast.